0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 23. One of the themes of the New Testament is becoming more like Christ. We want to be imitators of our Savior's character, love, and fidelity. In fact, Jesus has something to say about this in today's passage. He offers three steps toward a Christ-filled life. Of utmost importance is possessing true salvation because it's from that foundation that you can have a genuine conversion and go on to practice authentic devotion. This is just one way to describe the discipleship process, but it's also true discipleship that leads to true Christ-likeness. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Matthew
1: 23, verses 13 through 22. Follow along if you have your Bibles with you. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering... Or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Okay, so there are three woes here, even though I read four. We'll explain what that means in a moment here, but I want to point out to you from the first woes during Passion Week that there are three steps toward a Christ-filled life that we can observe from them. So three steps toward a Christ-filled life, and we're all looking to have Christ-filled lives, aren't we? So understanding Jesus' heart about certain behaviors, certain attitudes, and certain philosophies, certain beliefs will align our hearts with His, and therefore we will have a Christ-filled life. The first one is foundational, very clearly. Possess true salvation. Why? Because Jesus is condemning people who lead others to a false sense of conversion. Because the scribes and the Pharisees had placed themselves in the chair of Moses, naturally, everybody went to them for information on how to be saved. They are the self-proclaimed shepherds of Israel. So people went to them to, to ask, "Oh, How do I get to heaven? How do I live a God-filled life? Presumably, they knew how to lead people to salvation, but they did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. They failed to understand a very foundational doctrine, and it's the doctrine of salvation. How does one get saved? How does one get born again and therefore make it to the kingdom of heaven? They failed to understand even that because they thought and they lay heavy burdens on people's shoulders. You remember that from last week. And those burdens were you need to do all of these things in order to be accepted by God. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to embrace our religion here. You need to embrace our system. Otherwise, God will not accept you. So that is not what uh, Jesus teaches. Therefore, they did not have the proverbial keys and they were shutting off the gates of the kingdom of heaven. They were preventing people from going in because they themselves were outside of the kingdom. So instead of leading followers to the new birth... They tied up heavy burdens on people. That's why I'm calling them the woeful wannabes, because they think they are in the kingdom, but they're not. And they are the extreme example of blind men leading the blind. In fact, Jesus calls them, you fools, you blind men. You think you're going one way, you're going the other way. You think you're going up, you're going down. But the scribes and the Pharisees did a lot worse than just failed to lead people to eternal life. If we can borrow another analogy from Jesus, we can say that they stood in the way. See, remember, Jesus said there is a narrow gate and a a narrow way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. So imagine that these guys are standing in the way of people in the right way, in the right road to heaven and diverting traffic, saying Jesus is not the only way. I am the way, they're saying. So they are diverting traffic, leading people to the broad way that leads to destruction. So church, we will take the first step toward a Christ-filled life. Obviously, when we understand and we embrace that doctrine, we understand the way to heaven. That's foundational in our lives. You can't live a Christ-filled life if you are still thinking that you can earn your way to salvation, that you can do all of these things, that you can perform your way to the grace of God. That is a contradiction of terms. And not only that, but we must identify false doctrines that keep people outside the kingdom because that is what Jesus is identifying here. By pronouncing this woe, he is identifying a false doctrine that leads people away from the true God. If we want to live a Christ-filled life, we need to make sure we ourselves are in the kingdom. We're not on the outside and we understand how those outside can come in because we want to invite them to come in because that is Christ's heart. The scribes and the Pharisees reflect the reality of many people today. They think they are in the kingdom just because they belong to a church or they belong to an organization. The Bible does very clear that you don't automatically go to heaven just because you belong to a particular branch of Christianity. You grew up, fill in the blank. That is not what the Bible says. Unless you have a new birth, unless you have come to an understanding that you are a sinner and you need salvation, you are outside the kingdom. You need to come in, and that is why Jesus says they need to possess true salvation. Woe to you, scribes and and Pharisees, because you are outside yourselves, therefore you will incur judgment just because of that. But furthermore, you are shutting off. The kingdom. You are preventing people from going in because they, they possessed a counterfeit salvation, a, a performance based salvation. They believed a false gospel and, and, and they were phony teachers. Again, Jesus already condemned them in the beginning of this chapter here when it says they occupy the chair of Moses, but they are usurping that office because I didn't call them. They themselves went into this. They, they are self appointed. But the good news is if there's anyone here outside the kingdom that is yet to possess true salvation, you still have time to make a U-turn. That's what it means to convert, which leads us here to the next woe. But before we get to the next woe, let me tell you why we're skipping verse 14. If you have the New American Standard Bible, you have that verse in brackets. And that means that that particular verse is not present in the early manuscripts. Now, I don't want you to lose your confidence in the Word of God. Remember, people early in the ancient times would copy manuscripts by hand. You know, this was before the printing press, right? So they would copy manuscripts by hand. And after, at the end of the day, you're weary. Your eyes are weary, your back is hurting, and you're sitting down, and, and, you know, you need to get up and drink some water. Probably what happened here is one of the copyists, the guy who was copying this from the original to the manuscript here, looked at Luke 20, verse 47, which reads exactly the same. Or Mark 12, verse 40, reads very similarly, So, and then he inserted it there by mistake. That's not a big deal. You don't need to lose your confidence in the Word of God because, if anything, he is repeating what Scripture already confirms. So he's not adding anything new to the Bible here. So we need to skip this because we will cover this particular verse when we study it in its correct place, in the book of Luke or in the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you have any more questions about this, this is called a manuscript Variant. None of these variants touch any essential doctrine here. and It doesn't cause us to lose confidence in the Word of God. In fact, if anything, it causes us to have more confidence in the Word of God. Because imagine if anyone had the originals. People would be worshiping the book. So, let's move to the second step toward a Christ-filled life. We talked about the first one. We are to possess true salvation. But in verse 15, according to the second woe here, we must promote genuine conversion. Genuine conversion. Because again, the condemnation here of Jesus to these guys is that you travel around sea and land to make one proselyte. In other words, you are the evangelists. You are the missionaries of the ancient world here of the first century. And the problem is not traveling around by sea and land. Jesus, for example, sent the disciples to the lost sheep of Israel. He wants his disciples to go and evangelize other people. He does not condemn proselytizing. He is condemning the results of that activity by the scribes and the Pharisees. The missionary trips of the scribes and the Pharisees did not produce true converts. That is what Jesus is condemning them for doing. You you are convincing people to join your cause rather than to lead them to Christ, rather to lead them to the true God. These malicious missionaries convinced people to embrace their system, a system of heavy burdens. See, they, they went through all of the effort to go and travel by sea and land, to go reach people. But when they got to them, what did they do, church? They laid heavy burdens on them. They said, well, now in order to make it to the kingdom of heaven, you must become a Pharisee. You must become a disciple of of us. In other words, you don't come to God through Jesus. You come to God through us, through our system. These new, quote-unquote, believers that the Pharisees were making would become disciples of a hypocritical religion rather than followers of the true God. Now, this is nothing new. It happens today. It happened in the first century there. It happened during the time when Paul wrote to the Galatians. For example, he says in Galatians 1, verse 6 through 8, I am amazed, he said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven, think about Mormonism, Think about Islam, who claimed that they received revelation from an angel from heaven. Even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Now, evangelistic zeal. That's what we're talking about here in this second woe. Evangelistic zeal without knowledge. That is the problem. And evangelistic zeal without knowledge has threatened the doctrinal purity of the church for centuries, since the beginning In cults such as Mormonism, for example, and Jehovah's Witnesses, they're not the only culprits. The fervor of the modern missionary movement, which started in the 19th century with William Carey, propelled well-intentioned missionaries around the world. But many of them confused making disciples of Christ with turning unbelievers into Westerners. That is very serious. As a result, these evangelists taught converts to become British or American before they would become Christians. And they also demanded that these new believers abandon customs that were not necessarily unbiblical. Again, that is putting heavy burdens on them. These were Baptist missionaries, Presbyterian missionaries. Listen, we are the ones who need to learn their language if we go reach them. We are the the outsiders We are the foreigners. So if we're going to go reach people for Christ, we need to show them that we care enough about them. They are that important so that we can learn their language and learn their customs and embrace whatever custom is not necessarily unbiblical. Now, if there are unbiblical customs in their culture, for example, polygamy or cannibalism or widow burning or baby sacrifice, a.k.a. abortion, then we reject those. On the other hand... The scribes and the Pharisees of the first century had no concept, no concept of becoming all things to all men, like Paul says, so that I may by all means save some, because they wanted to accumulate followers rather to to lead them to Christ. They were pointing people to themselves, dress like me, speak like me, think like me, vote like me, instead of go to Him, because we're all following Him. He is the light of the world. We're all following Him. And as a result, Jesus says, strong language here, You are sons of hell, sons of Gehenna, the city dump in Jerusalem. The proselytizer and proselytes remain destined to eternal condemnation. They are farther from God than they were before because they are following a belief system, an unbiblical belief system instead of following the true God. So church, according to this woe, we will take the second step toward a Christ-filled life by ensuring and making sure that our evangelism produces new disciples of Christ, not mini-me's. Is that clear? We're not out producing disciples of Grace Baptist Church when we're telling people about Jesus Christ. We want them to come to Christ. If they go to another Bible-believing church, we rejoice. No problem with that at all. So we will take another step toward a Christ-filled life if we understand that, when we understand that when we're telling people about Jesus Christ, we don't need to close the deal. We don't need to convince them of anything. The Holy Spirit does that. We don't need to try to get them to say a prayer. You don't even have to pray to be... Did you know that? You don't have to pray the sinner's prayer in order to be saved. You need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We lead people in the sinner's prayer because we want them to get going in their spiritual life. So, however, a new believer expresses his or her desire to be saved. We rejoice with that. But remember, they don't need to be assimilated in our culture. They don't need to become Americans. They don't need to become Westerners. They don't need to speak like us, dress like us, look like us. Genuine conversion. Let's remember this. When somebody genuinely comes to Christ, in time and with tender shepherding, God will eliminate the sinful elements of his or her culture. We understand that. I come from Brazil. In my culture, it is common to cheat on your wife. And it was so culturally ingrained in people's hearts that even the woman would say, Well, that's okay. You know, At least he's providing the bread. No, it's sinful. That will be eliminated in time and with tender shepherding, disciple-making. So when somebody from another culture comes to Christ, they are placed in Christ, but they can keep their distinctives there unless those distinctives are sinful, in which point we need to shepherd them towards a life of holiness. That's all part of the discipleship process, and we will take the second step toward a Christ-filled life when we understand that and reject completely the pharisaical mode of evangelism because the pharisaical type of evangelism was you will travel by land and sea to make proselytes. But when they become a follower of you, both of you become twice as much son of Gehenna, the Bible says, because you remain outside of the kingdom of heaven. So, thankfully, that's not the case here. We have a clear understanding of what the gospel is and the power, the transforming power of the gospel. But let me talk to you about the third step toward a Christ-filled life. And that is the third woe here. We're going to call this practice authentic devotion. Practice authentic devotion because that is the heart of the matter that Jesus is addressing here. What he's talking about here, church, in case that was a little confusing when you read all about blind guys, whoever swears by the temple, what is that all about? Jesus briefly mentioned this in the Sermon on the Mount. He condemns the practice of evasive oaths. Okay, That's what this is. Common at a time, the pharisaical custom... Dictated or permitted that people were bound to keep their promises only if they swore by the gold in the sanctuary of the temple. So you really mean it when you swear by the gold. So you say, Well, I'm gonna be there at five o'clock. I swear by the gold. That means you really mean it. And you're really gonna be there. We're gonna hold you to it. But if you just swear by the temple, uh, I may there be there or not. It's a mystery. And doing that kind of a thing would allow people to mislead others into telling half-truths. So this was a misleading type of a thing. And Jesus uses strong language. You fools and you blind men, why are you doing this? And then he asks a rhetorical question here in verse 17. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? In other words, why are you ranking relics? That has nothing to do with speaking the truth. That is what Jesus is talking about here. That has nothing to do with devotion to God. It doesn't matter if you're swearing by the gold or the temple or by the crucifix or whatever, or by the marble or or by the Pope. It doesn't matter. You need to speak the truth no matter what. You don't even have to swear. You don't even have to take an oath. This convoluted ranking of true statements backed up by religious relics, that's a false devotion, and Jesus is condemning that. So in verse 18, Jesus condemned this silly practice and silly rationale and repeats the same rhetorical question. And he takes us right back to the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew 5, verse 37, when he says, let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. In other words, just say what you mean, speak the truth, and let it be like that. Let your word take care of that. Be a man or a woman of your word because you're a follower of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. What that means, church, is that God expects us to speak the truth always, in every circumstance, no matter the consequences. We are to speak the truth whether or not we're placed under oath in a court of law. So, yes, next time you're called to go testify or be a jury, like I was a few years ago, I was summoned to be a jury, I was raise my right hand and promised to tell the truth. Sure, uh, telling the truth is already my commitment. But, yeah, I'll raise my hand, telling the truth Nothing but the truth, so help me, God. Sure, I'll say that because that's already my resolve for my heart because I am a follower of Christ. Now, do I keep this all the time? None of us do. We're sinners. We fail to speak the truth. Sometimes we mislead people purposefully to make us look good. That's part of human nature. We need to repent when that happens and, and go clarify things. Hey, listen, I didn't mean that. Or let me clarify things to you. I think I may have been misleading when I say this. So just just to clarify, this is what I meant. This is what things are. See, we don't need to swear by anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that is true devotion to God. That reflects true devotion to God. In other words, we should not make false statements on anything. On our tax returns, we should be exact to the penny in our tax returns because we love God. Even though pennies are not, they round up, I guess, to the next dollar amount. But let them do that. You speak the truth. You should not lie to our parents, young people here in any circumstance, even if you're going to be in trouble. We should not lie to our teachers, to our bosses. Obviously, you shouldn't lie to a judge under the penalty of perjury, of course, or to our neighbors. Likewise, we should not perpetuate rumors. That is very important, church. We should not perpetuate rumors because we have not verified the facts. So if someone comes to you with a juicy gossip... Stop that person in mid-sentence, politely, and say, I do not want to hear it. I don't need to hear it. I'm not a part of the solution. I'm not a part of the problem. If that doesn't involve me, I don't need to hear. Nor should you chase after every speculation. You have much more important things to do. Even if the facts that you're hearing seem truthful, whether it's about somebody you know or not, even if it's about a politician, even if it's about a tweet you read or or, or something you you, you watched on the news, oh, did you hear that President Biden did this and that or Congressman so-and-so, you don't know the truth. Sure, you can talk about it, but don't perpetuate the rumor. And there's no point in chasing after speculation because even if the facts seem truthful, because check this out, it is not always right, not always wise, not always loving to expose someone's sin publicly. There's a place for that in the Bible, and it's very clear when and how to do that. So we are committed to the truth. And something even more important in our times now that wasn't a case 20 years ago. Church, we must never embrace the craziness of preferred pronouns. Please, don't embrace that foolishness because that is a lie. See, when a biological male asks you to call him a she, he is asking you to lie. He's asking you to utter a lie just to validate him. No matter how much you love that person, and we do, if you're a believer in Christ, the truth has set you free. And you can say, friend, I'm sorry, I am not going to do that because I am committed to the truth. The truth has set me free. My Savior is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan is the father of lies according to John 8, verse 44. And I'm no longer a son of disobedience, according to Ephesians 2, verse 2, but a child of God. So therefore, I cannot go along with that. I love you. I want to be your friend, but I cannot go along with this. So, for this reason, my fellow believer, we must not lie in order to appease our modern culture. We must not lie in order for us to look better. We need to resolve in our hearts today to never mislead anyone. Don't commit to something You do not intend to follow through, including marriage. Unless you are committed to loving that woman or that man for the rest of your life, no matter what, don't commit. Nobody's forcing you to get married. But unless you you say, I'm not going to use the D word in my house. Don't get married. And you can't use the excuse, well, I don't love my wife anymore, pastor. No. That doesn't fly. Or my love for him is over, pastor. No, again, that doesn't fly either because according to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 through 8, love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never fails. And love is not a feeling anyway. It's a decision. The romanticized type of version uh, version of love that we watch on the Hallmark Channel is meant for, for, for people to be emotional. True love here is a decision you make. I'm going to love this person here no matter what, even if he snores. Jesus' point here in this woe is that we will take another step toward a Christ-filled life when we express authentic devotion to him by speaking the truth in every circumstance, no matter the consequence. Now, there are times that you will say, well, I can't talk about this. You don't have to lie. Just say, I- I'm not authorized to speak about this. This was a private conversation. I, I can't reveal the details to you. So speak the truth, whether the truth is convenient or not, or even when the truth makes us look bad. There's no way around it. We must speak the truth always. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the richness of your word and the clarity. It is our desire to honor the heart of Christ, Lord, and to love what he loves and whom he loves and hate the type of behaviors he hates. And for that, Lord, we hate our sin. We hate our own sin, Lord. We are painfully aware that we are so tempted to not speak the truth. And almost all of us here from time to time fall into that temptation, Lord. Give us an extra measure of your grace to go and make it right, Lord, when we have to. And also, Father, when we're talking about true conversion and leading others to Christ, things that we learn today, we want to honor Christ in everything we do, Lord, because he is the reason why we exist. He is the reason why we do what we do, Lord. And our hope is in him who we love. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.